Um, I don't like being up here, but I love teaching. Uh, there is an awesome passage the Lord took me through this last week, and I am very excited to share it with you guys. It uh, hit me right between the eyes and really confronted me on a lot of issues that I had going on and uh, really sobered me up to uh, what my Christianity has become. And so I'm excited to share with you guys and to go through this. And so we're going to be looking in the book of Haggai. Yeah, a little bit different. One of the minor prophets. Haggai. Third one from the end of the Old Testament. So go left from Matthew. And it's only two little chapters there. Great book, though. And I don't know, maybe some of you guys have been through it. Uh, Haggai isn't really hit that often because Zechariah kind of clouds them out because they're together as prophets at the same time. And uh, Zechariah definitely had a lot more to say than Haggai did. And, uh, but Haggai has such a great point in it. And uh, just the uncovering it and the Lord just speaking to me. And I really hope that he speaks to you guys in the same ways and, and uh, really brings to light some of the stuff that's been uh, neglected or even things that it's so awesome. And this is why we get to serve him and just praise him. So that's what I want to go through with you guys this morning. So let's go ahead and uh, pray and ask that the Lord would just do an awesome work this morning in teaching us. So Lord, we, we love you and we thank you so much that we get to come into your word and study it, Lord, and and really get to know what your purposes are for us, Lord, and, and what we need to be focused on. And uh, just as you call us out to consider these things, Lord, um, I pray that we would do that, and that we would consider our ways and uh, follow after you, Lord. I thank you so much for just setting up the foundation and the worship in our lives of you. And Lord, I pray that we continue in that and building your temple. And uh, Lord, I pray you just speak this morning. I pray that you just open people's hearts, um, or that they would open their hearts to you, and just fill them with your love, Lord, as you just talk to them. And I uh, thank you so much just what you've spoken to me, and, and uh, just drawing me closer to you, Lord, and I praise you for that. And thank you so much that you want to have that relationship with me. And I want everybody else to know that here this morning, and uh, just to feel that, Lord, the, that love that you just pour out on us. And uh, we pray for the people that are in Africa, Lord. We ask that you continue to protect them, that this women's retreat is going awesome, and uh, that the women are being touched. And, Lord, that the men that are back at home, that they're surviving, and that they're having a great time with their family. And, and it's just an awesome opportunity for them to grow. And, uh, Lord, so we just pray for the, the teachings, the health, and even the trip back, Lord. You bring them back safely to us, and just that they would have an awesome testimony of you working through their lives while they were there. And thank you so much that this small little church gets to have opportunities to send people like that that far away. We praise you for the work you're doing, Lord, and you continue to do in our lives. And uh, we ask you just open our eyes to your scriptures this morning. In my pray, amen. All right. So I want to give you guys a little bit of background before we dive into the scriptures here. And I know a lot of you guys, you guys are, are church, you guys know the Word of God, um, but those of you that maybe have forgotten or don't know, let's go through it real quick. I just want to give you the background on Haggai and where we are in the history of Israel at this moment, because it's going to make a lot of sense, and it brings out a lot of application knowing this stuff. So it's not just to have knowledge of, you know, this is what's going on, but it's very interesting, but application's there for sure. So we know that the Israelites went off into exile, right, in from the Babylonian kingdom, from Nebuchadnezzar. So he took them away. God warned them forever through the prophets before Haggai. and goes through and is talking to them, this is what's going to happen to you. Okay, They finally get taken away. It's a horrible thing that happens to them. A lot of bad stuff goes on. and You guys can read through that. And then now with Haggai, he is one of the first post-prophets, post-exile prophets. 
as they've come out of there now. So we have Haggai and Zechariah, they're the ones that talk about it, and then you have Malachi, that's one of the last ones in the Old Testament. So with him, you know, Israel's under Nebuchadnezzar, it was taken captivity, as the Lord had promised, and then now with Haggai, what's going on is that they're under uh, King Cyrus, all right? Or Darius, I'm sorry. Cyrus was before. So Cyrus, it was a God-fearing man, and what he does is Cyrus, after their 70 years, he sends Israel back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. And Cyrus, you can read about it at another time in Ezra uh, 1, uh, 2 through 4, and it just talks about this guy's heart and how he loves Jehovah God and he wants to see this temple built. And so he sends a remnant back to go and do this process, to go and work this out back in Jerusalem. And that's important. We'll go back through that a little bit later. And so in this moment, we have Haggai and Zechariah, that the two prophets are going to prophesy while the rebuilding of the temple happens, right? And then we have a guy named Zerubbabel, which is the governor of Judah, and he actually has lineage from David. And so this is where that lineage is going to continue to get to Jesus Christ. That's him. And then we have Joshua, which is the high priest at the time. Zerubbabel and Josh are the ones that are sent, Joshua are sent back to kind of be the leaders, to ones to, to be the spearhead on rebuilding this temple. And then Haggai and Zechariah are the ones that keep them in shape, like, hey, let's, go, let's stay on track here. So King Cyrus, his main objective that he did, he did not send them back to rebuild Jerusalem, all right? That was not his purpose. He did not say go back and build the, the, the city of Jerusalem. He knew that would take place anyways. People have to have places to live, right? No, he sends them back, and he's very specific, and he says go back and build the temple. So why is the temple so important, right? We don't have a temple nowadays, do we? I mean, okay, figuratively we do. That was kind of a trick question, right? But we don't have a, a structure. We don't have this house of God. We don't have this temple that's over in Jerusalem anymore. Well, why was it important to get that back in there? Well, this is pre-Jesus, right? This is pre-the grace. This is pre-new covenant. So there were still things that needed to take place to draw them close to God and to remember their place with God. And so these four points are why the temple isn't so important. Well, it was the place where the sinner could meet with God. It's the place that the sinner can meet with God, right? So sacrifices took place. That's where you went and put your hand on the animal, and then it was slit. The, the throat was uh, slit, and then the blood goes on, and you go away from your sin, you know, that separation that takes place. And then it's put before God and dealt with. The other thing is, is the place where a proper order could be restored. So many times we see in the Old Testament, when they're out of order, they go back to the temple, and they would do the, one of the feasts, or they would have a big sacrifice, right, to get things back into order. It was that meeting place where everybody came back together. Is the place where sin was covered, right? Again, by the blood of the, the animals. And then I think the biggest point on this, this is where we're going to focus today, is that most of all, it's the place where God could take pleasure and be glorified. It's the place where he could take pleasure and be glorified. Now, all this wasn't there right now, right? They're coming out of this exile, and none of this is there yet, and so they're in charge, and they're the ones that need to do uh, what God has called them to, and also what this King Cyrus has sent them to do. Now, we no longer need a temple, right? Because now we're, we're in the time of Jesus. We have this new covenant that's established through his blood, and, and now Jesus Christ is God's pleasure and his glory, isn't he? He's the pleasure and the glory. Jesus is the temple, a type of the temple, isn't he? Even when he describes it in John two nineteen. That's the place where he says, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it, I'll build it again, right? He's identifying himself as the temple, as that place where God takes pleasure and his glory is shown. 
And then also in Revelation 21-22, this is a great verse if you guys are taking notes. Revelation 21-22, I just want to go ahead and read it because it is a, a good one. 21-22, this is talking, this is in the time of the New Jerusalem, right? It's uh, 9 through 21, talks about all the things, talks about the New Jerusalem, and then it goes into 22. And John says, but I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. They're the temple. So Jesus is that place that through him we can meet God, right? That through him order is restored, that through him sin is forgiven, and that through him the Father has pleasure and is glorified, just like the old temple. Can you guys think of anybody else that's a temple or referred to as a temple? Right? Us. Yeah. In 1 Corinthians 3.16. 1 Corinthians 3.16. says, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you, right? It's that meeting place of God. Now he's made it with us because of why? Well, it's because of Jesus, isn't it? It's that part of an inheritance that we get through Jesus Christ, and that's why we're considered to even be close to a temple. It's amazing what he even calls us that because of what it referred to back in the Old Testament. If you guys look at Ephesians chapter 1, Verses 11 through 14, it says, In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. That we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. There's that glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also being, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchase Purchased possession to the praise and the glory of God. And so we have both of these that are true. Jesus Christ is seen in the temple. Our bodies are seen as the temple. And so now that we have that established, remember that as we go through these parts in Haggai. Because it just explodes with application as we look at it. It's not just a simple, hey, you guys need to get back in this. I mean, the way that the Lord will just speak to you guys through this, it's so neat the application he brings out of it, knowing that Jesus Christ is the one that we go through and we deal with and knowing that we've been called the temple. And so there has to be stuff that's done here, right? So now let's go ahead and read in Haggai. Chapters one, or chapter one, verses one through four. It says, in the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month of the first day of the month, which is September, uh, the word of the Lord came to Haggai, the prophet, uh, to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtel, uh, governor of Judea, or Judah, sorry, and to Joshua, the son of Jes- uh, Jehozadak, and the, uh, the high priest saint. Sorry, those words. People's names. <laughs> thus speaking the Lord of hosts, saying, thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, this people, the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then the word of the Lord came to by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Ouch. <laughs> Some serious words Haggai just brought to these guys, right? This is like the first prophet's words. You know, Ezra talks about it, and we'll go through Ezra quite a bit today because it kind of gives us insight on what was going and what had already happened. But Haggai just comes up and he shows up and he says, Hey, the temple's not built. What's going on? And the people's excuse to it was what? It's not the right time. It's not the right time right now. 
And then God says, well, what is the right time then? Is the right time now that you should be building your own places where the temple of God sits there in ruins? Really? Like, don't you guys remember the example that we have in Solomon? What did Solomon build first? Remember, he goes and builds the house of God before he builds his own house. That example that was set there. So the excuse of the people was, it's not the right time to build it, and his response was that. So let's step back for a second, though. Because I want you to understand, every time we go through something like this with Israel, I don't know if you guys think this, but sometimes I'll get onto this little thing of, well, that's because Israel is just always evil. <laughs> they always did bad things. They're always worshiping other gods. And so, of course, they would say something or do something like they've done here. But these people, and specifically, were the people that were the remnant that chose to go back to Jerusalem. So there's still other Jews that are staying in Babylon which is a nice place now because you got a king there that loves Jehovah God. And so it's kind of cush, you know, back there in, in where the exile is. And they're okay with it. But these guys, it's about 50,000 of them, decided to be sent out to go and purposely rebuild this temple. So it's not like it's these evil people or these people that are so lost. It's like good, devout Jewish people wanting to see their land restored and wanting to see God do awesome things. So what happened? And this is where it gets such good application because I know so many of us are so excited about Jesus Christ when we first come to him, we're on fire, let's do everything for him, and then what happens? It's not like we're evil people. Yeah, before Jesus Christ, absolutely, but it's not like we're evil Christians like, okay, you know, I just wanted to stop. I, I, I like these, the basics. And that's how these people were. It wasn't that way. They left the comforts of Babylon knowing they're going to a desolate place and they're going to have hard times ahead of them. So they're a good heart, especially when they first returned. So in 538 BC, they began to rebuild the temple. And we're going to look at Ezra 3. We'll go back and we're going to look at what they were doing as they rebuilt this temple and started and the excitement behind it. So Ezra chapter 3, verse 8. Now in the second month of the second year of their coming to the house of God at Jerusalem, Zerubbabel, the son of Shelatel, uh, Joshua, the son of Josadak, and the rest of their brethren and the priests and the Levites and all those who had come out of the captivity to Jerusalem began work and appointed the Levites from 20 years old and above to oversee the work of the house of the Lord. Then Joshua, or Jeshua, uh, has a little bit different name there, same deal. Jeshua, with his son and brothers, uh, Kenamel, with his sons and the sons of Judah, arose as one to oversee those works, working on the house of God, the son of Henadad, with their sons and their brethren and Levites. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests stood in their apparel with trumpets, and the Levites, the son of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord according to the ordinance of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsibly, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures for, uh, forever toward Israel. Then all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid." Awesome beginning, right? And it even talks about in verses, we're not going to read through it, but even in verses 1 through 7, it talks about the altar first being set up and the worship of God being reestablished there in Jerusalem. It says they didn't do the, the altar exactly right because it was supposed to be elevated a little bit and they put it right on the ground. 
So there's some stuff, you know, they're trying to rush through it and get done. But the point of it was worship was set up and their foundation was set up. And there was a huge praise going on because of it. This was an exciting time, right? Super excited. So it ends up that they were building a temple, or sorry, they returned in 538 BC, and then they started building in 536. You know, the time goes down before Christ. So 536. So two years later, they started rebuilding it. And then in 534, just two years later, they stopped. They stopped. Cold turkey. So they're doing this awesome project, right? Then all of a sudden, they're done. How many of you guys have projects at home like that? <laughs> Sorry, husbands. <laughs> Yeah, I, I just started this summer on my backyard renovation, right? I got all these railroad ties and set up and dug a bunch of dirt out. I don't want to touch the thing again. I'm so burnt out on it. You know, it's those projects you're so excited to start, changes a bunch, and then you got those tiny little things that need to be fixed up at the end, and you're like, I, got, I want to go start this other project. <laughs> this one looks a lot more fun than what I've been doing, and we go on with it. You guys can come over to my house. We don't have cupboards on the doors. My whole house is like that. It's horrible. A lot of projects that have started and not ended. So, they stop, but their reason was a little bit different. Their reason wasn't just because, hey, you know, this is kind of boring, or I have a new project that I want to do. It's because their neighbors ended up forcing them to stop. We can look back at Ezra, verse, or chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the descendants of the captivity were building the temple of the Lord God of Israel, they came to Zerubbabel, and the heads of the father's house, and said to them, Let us build with you, for we seek your God as you do. And we have sacrificed to him since the days of Esaradon, we'll say it like that, king of Assyria, who brought us here, but Zerubbabel and Jeshua and the rest of the heads of the father's house of Israel said to them, You may do nothing with us to build a house for God, but we alone with, will build to the Lord God of Israel as King Cyrus and the king of Persia has commanded us. Seems kind of harsh. It's like, well, why wouldn't you want those neighbors to come and help you out, right? Like here you have some good people. They just want to be neighborly. Come on over, Gentiles, and help us build this temple to our God that was supposed to be consecrated to him, right? It's supposed to be clean. The thing was, we find out later on, these guys had no, they weren't wanting to rebuild the temple, they just wanted to come over and cause problems and have their hand in and have some control on what's going to happen with their neighbors because they feared them. And so in verse 4, it says, Then the people of the land tried to discourage the people of Judah, and they troubled them in building and hired counselors against them to frustrate their progress or their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. And so now they're causing problems. And they're over. They're messing with these guys even hired counselors to go in there and basically disrupt the work, uh, bring them down, and uh, discourage them from the work. And then later on, what ends up happening is that the enemies go and they talk to King Artaxerxes to stop building the temple or to die. And we see that over in chapter 4, verses 23 and 24. And it says, Now when the copy of the King Artaxerxes... Artaxerxes I just said it before. Artaxerxes... <laughs> Artaxerxes, there it is. Letter was read before Rehum, uh, Shishmael, the scribe, and their companions. They went up in haste to Jerusalem against the Jews, and by force of arms made them cease. Thus the work of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem, ceased, and it was discontinued until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. 
And so that's what we see. That's the reason behind why all of a sudden this awesome work, they're praising God, and now it just stopped. Because the enemy has come in there and discouraged them and made it a hard deal to even keep continuing. So this... uh, Later on, what happens is Artaxerxes does not look at Syria, uh, King uh, Cyrus and see that what he had said was legit. They didn't go back and look at the, the decree that he had sent out. Artaxerxes just said, this is how it's going to be. Later on, Darius is the one that comes back and looks at it because they petition him and say, look back at what Cyrus said for us to do. He's the one that commanded us to come back out here and do this. So your own king before you is the one that told us to come and do this. And that's when they are able to get started back up. So... There had been 14 years that the temple had not been touched. 14 years. Built an awesome foundation, had the altar. So guess what? Probably the sacrifices are happening, aren't they? So yeah, we're, we're kind of doing what God wants us to do. But when you go back and you look at what is the temple for, it wasn't just that they needed an altar there. The temple was that meeting place for the sinner and God, wasn't it? It was that place where God took pleasure in the people and he was glorified, even amongst the nations, right? We remember the temple of Solomon and there was people that traveled from all over the place to come and even just see the place and then they heard testimony of Jehovah and his greatness. That's what God wanted reestablished there. Not just the sacrificial system. He wanted his presence back over there and to be recognized that he could take pleasure and be glorified. And so... Again, in verse 2, the people say it's not the right time to do this. And maybe the work was not as easy as they thought it was going to be. You know, sometimes we get into something, and um, I would say even in our Christianity, some people are like, hey, if you guys just come to Jesus, all your problems are done, right? Like your, your wife's going to completely turn around. She's going to love you again. You're going you're to have all these, these magical things and rainbows and, and ponies and all this stuff's going to happen, okay? Because that's what Jesus wants for you. Yeah, that's not. I mean, when Jesus was talking to people that wanted to come to him, what he, some of the stuff he would say to them is what? Like, hey, go home, sell everything, and then you can come follow me. And the guy turned away sad. Like, God knew the heart. He wanted the heart of the people. He did not want some emotional thing. And so maybe the work was a little bit harder. Maybe it wasn't as expected. Like, wow, this Christianity is a really hard thing to do. There's people that are still mean to me, and, and they're even my brothers and sisters that are mean. There's things that happen here. This is really tough. You know, that kind of thing. And then maybe the land, I'm pretty sure when they went back, the land was desolate. So they're starting completely from new, right? And then their enemies were threatening them. It was frustrating because they were like one step forward, two steps back. You guys ever felt like that before? Right? You get into that place of despair and it's like, why keep going? The world's against me. Why? why? I, got, I got what I need over here. It's enough. Like we had a huge celebration about the foundation that was laid. I got the altar, so worship's happening. I'm good. In verses 5 and 6, Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, after he said to them, what's up, guys? You're living in your paneled houses, and paneled houses were nicer. Because of what it's talking about there, it's not just a stick frame that was up. This is like luxury. Paneled houses, it's, it's drywall, basically. It's like we would go down to Mexico, and we'd go build some houses for some of the people down there. We'd take groups down, uh, the high schoolers, and usually we would stucco the outside, and then the inside was a stick frame, right? It was, it was nice. It was better than a pallet house. But some of the groups wanted to go a little bit further and give them that luxury of drywall. And so they'd show up, and they'd be like, here, we got extra money for drywall. And then we drywall that, and it was just so cool because now this house is paneled, more finished, right? It looked nicer. 
Well, back in these guys' time, I mean, this was, okay, the house is paneled. We're good. This, this is a nice house. This is, I got all my ducks in a row. I got all my focus. All my pleasures are good. Now home's good. Now my wife's happy. Let's go on. This is, this is a good thing. So when God calls them out, he goes to verse 5, and this is where we really focus on. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Consider your ways. And that's one of those sayings that comes right out of the Bible and hits you. Consider your ways. What's going on right now? What is the life looking like? God ends up saying in verse 6, he says, these are the realities of your life right now. Here's what you should be considering. Because, yeah, you have paneled houses. You have the means. You have the material stuff that you have been working for for the last 14 years is my house lays in ruins. You've been doing all this, but let's look at the reality of your situation. You have sown much and you bring in little. You're working super hard. You're not bringing very much home. You're always out there doing. You eat, but you do not have enough. Yeah, you know what? You're, you're feeding your family. You got that going on, but you still don't have enough. There's always that more that you're wanting. You're not fulfilled. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. There's no satisfaction. That thirst that's just there. You know, you get that dry mouth and you're like, Man, I just need some water or something. And you get it, but you're not satisfied. You still have that thirst. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. You have your needs. God's provided you for that stuff, but there's no warmth in you. What's up? What's going on? And then that last one, he says, and he who earns wages, this is the saddest one, earns wages to put it into a bag with holes. That's also called a piece of plastic nowadays with numbers on it. (laughs) That credit. Yeah, I just keep throwing it in that bag of holes. You know, I go make all this money and then I'm going to throw it in here. I got to have that stuff though because I can afford the next payment. I mean, most all of us in this room, you know, we're at a place, it doesn't matter how much you're bringing in, but us as Americans, we tend to, and I'm not calling everybody on this, but we tend to max out what God's given us in what we're spending our money on. So I make more money now, so therefore I can afford a bigger payment on another vehicle rather than just being happy with what we've been given already. You know, and wondering, well, why did God give me that raise? Why, why do I have that? Does he want me to use it in his kingdom in some way? Or is this just for me to be able to use? Because, I mean, that's why I'm here on this earth, is so that I can keep collecting. <laughs> you know, and then you max yourself out to where it's always a pressure, and if you ever lose that job, you're sunk. And really, you've got to ask a question, does God want you in a situation like that? Where you earn your wages, but you put it into a bag with holes, it's gone right away. As soon as I get that check, poof, see you later. It's some hard sayings. So, They were working hard for little gain. They had barely enough to eat. They drank, but they weren't satisfied. They had clothes, but not warmth, and making money, but losing it just as fast as they made it. So all of the above would seem to have never made it right for the time to build the temple, right? Do you guys see that every single situation that they were in would have absolutely made it not time? Like, I can't get ahead. Like, you want me to come and do these things over here, God, with your people in this ministry, but do you know that I have to keep working for my family? You want me to provide for my family, don't you? You even say in your word that if I don't feed my family, I'm worse than an unbeliever. So you want me to do that, right? Well, I'm sorry I don't have time for whatever you're asking me to do in this situation. And you could go on and on. 
there will always be something that you can put in your life that will trump God as far as you're concerned. There's always going to be something that's more important than what he's calling you to. And that's exactly what was going on with Israel in this moment. These, these 50,000 Jewish people that were here is they're putting things in the way of what God had called them to do. They had an awesome beginning. They had an awesome start. And this could go for us in the application. This could go from when we first came to Jesus Christ and now where is our life at now? Are we in the 14 years of making sure we're established, making sure that our prosperity is good and not making sure that God's kingdom prospers? Like, where are we at? Maybe it's something he's given you. Maybe it's a ministry that he's given you, just something you're supposed to have right now in this awesome foundation has been set. He's set up all the people you're supposed to meet with, and now you're just in this dry spot to where now it's just to maintain. Just keep maintaining, maintain what God's given me. Nothing more, nothing less. Just keep going forward, keep my health down. Let's go for it. No idea. I know the Lord's going to use the scripture, though, to share with you and to bring you out of those 14 years because that's what he wants for you. That's what he wants to see. Not just so that you have blessing, but that he takes pleasure in it and he's glorified. That's our end goal. Not so that we can have a better life. And that all comes from blessing. Because anytime God's pleased and he's glorified, guess what happens to us? We're his children. He does awesome, beautiful things for us. We draw closer to him. He helps us to defeat something in our lives. You know, I mean, there's beautiful things that happen. And even sometimes he gives us what we need. And, and even beyond that, these nice little things like having a camper so I can go out in the wilderness and praise God. Thank you, Lord, for that. That's good. But where does it stop? Where do we stop and say, okay, God, it's got to turn back to you. It's got to be about you. And so they turn their, to their own homes after all God wants me to focus on myself, doesn't he? <laughs> they turn back to their own homes because they just said it's not the right time. He wants me to be happy and my family to be happy too. It goes back to what even Dan was talking to us about last week about that entitlement. I mean, these guys, hey, I just got off of exile for 70 years. Cut me some slack. <laughs> I just want to have my own house. I mean, I worked two years for you Maybe even four because I was getting it all set up and ready for you. And then we started to work on it. And so is that, is that, isn't that good? We're worshiping you. We have an altar. That entitlement, it's a sad thing. You know what the saddest thing is? Is that they were content to keep on living like they were. They were content to keep living on like they were until God comes and says, Consider your ways. And he says it again in verse 7, Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. So he asks them, consider all the, the reality that they're in, and now he says, consider your ways, like I want you guys to change this up. And that's when he goes in verses 7 through 11, and he says in verse 8, Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. Now the first time they were supposed to do this, they actually had enough money because Cyrus gave them money to go out and hire other people to cut down these cedars for them. That's back in Ezra. Ezra 3, 7, if you want the exact verse. But he has other people go and gather. Now, my question is, what happened to all those supplies? Hmm. I mean, we probably know they were used probably for the houses, right? They're not going to let some nice cedars sit around and just rot away for 14 years. It's like, hey, we got some lumber over there. 
I even helped, you know, bring that in after those other people brought it in. God had provided them. Now God's calling now, guess what? You need to go up to the mountains. You need to bring the wood and you need to be focused and build that temple. It's going to be hard. But the thing is, is the main point of this, and this, I keep hitting this over and over again, is so that, and this is God's reason, that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. In verse 9, you looked for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts? Because of my house that is in ruins, while every one of you runs to his own house. Therefore, the heavens above, you withhold the dew, and the earth withholds its fruit. For I called for a drought on the land, in the mountains, on the grain, and the new wine, and the oil, and on whatever the ground brings forth, on men and livestock, and in all the labor of your hands. And so, I'm sure that what they did with their supplies that they gathered was probably using their own houses, but God says that he wants two things from them. Or he wants to be benefited. He wants that pleasure and that be glorified. When these two reasons are accomplished, the servant is accomplished. So when we have, when God gets pleasure and he's glorified, when that's accomplished, the servant is accomplished, right? Isn't that what we're here for? Isn't that what we do? Or are we here so that we can gather all these gifts from God and we can get all this stuff from him, we can have these better lives? Is, is, that, what he's, is that the gospel message? Or is it that we go before him and we understand who we are before him, that we're this sinner in need of a savior, and all I want to do because of that, because of what he's done to me, is I want him to have pleasure in me, and I want him to be glorified through my life. So God, you tell me whatever you want me to do. You deserve it. Absolutely. And so these 14 years I've been in, Lord, forgive me. Start me back up. What mountains do I have to go to? Where's that wood at? <laughs> Send me. I'm ready. I know it's going to be harder than what you first blessed me with, that I had other people bringing it to me. But God, I want to do this because I want you to have pleasure and I want you to have glory. Verse 9. They were ambitious but without success because of God's mercy and turning them back to his goals. So it's an awesome thing to see God step in and say, no more, I'm not going to let you guys be content in your lives that you're living right now. I'm going to stop it right here. I blew it away. You guys went and worked hard, and I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of Because you're focused. Because my house is in ruins while every one of you runs back to your own houses. It goes back to that. I want to make sure my house prospers rather than my God's kingdom prospers. And turning that back, and that's why God's stopping them, and he says, this is what I've done. The whole time, they're probably thinking, this is bad luck. <laughs> this is bad luck that we're not getting any moisture, or maybe the enemy's attacking us. Satan's after us, and he's attacking us. You know, all these other things that are easy to look out, like, it can't be me. It's got to be something else going on here. Maybe, maybe God's just testing us, and so we just need to worship more at the altar. When the whole time it was them, it was, God was trying to stop them and, and make them aware of what was going on in their lives at that moment. The, prior, the, the priority of these people had become self and not dying to self. Self was being glorified by what had been built for themselves. That kingdom they'd been building for themselves. And you guys know this just as good as I do. And I, I know it's, it's a harsh word to come down, but I think as, as Americans, we're very well off. We are. 
Even, even the ones of us that don't have much, we are well off compared to other nations and stuff. And I know you guys have heard this, and you're like, great, another pe- preacher that's going to talk about how well we are and how we're doing. But guys, we do have a responsibility to that. If we take what God's given us and we keep building our own kingdom, guess where the attention goes? You only can have so much attention. The stuff you get is going to ask for your time, isn't it? How many of you guys have heard somebody that, or even yourselves, you have a garage sale and you get rid of a bunch of junk or you get rid of a storage unit that you've been paying for years and you never used one thing out of it, and it's liberating. (laughs) It's like, I don't even know why I had all that stuff. Why is it liberating? Because it takes time. Even all the knickknacks in the home, you got to go dust all that. You want it to look pretty so when somebody comes over, they say, wow, that's amazing. Where'd you get that? I want one of those. You're like, yeah, (laughs) it's because I'm a good shopper. (laughs) <laughs> you know, or, or let's go and play with this. Let's go do this. Let's, you know, and, and it's like, where is God's temple in all of this? Where is God's work in all of this? Are we furthering the kingdom? Is the kingdom being furthered in our life anymore? Or are we content with as far as we got? And now we're just going to cruise until he takes us. God's going to stop you guys because he loves you. He's going to send these storms and these droughts in your lives. And maybe he's got you going through one right now, and maybe he's put you through it, and you've just gotten hard against it. But God wants us to wake up when he takes us through something like that, is to wake up and say, hey, come back to my work. You've been distracted. Leave your house and come back to build my temple. Come back to build my kingdom. Leave it. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. And you guys probably know this scripture. It's a good one. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. True story. That's good scripture right there. It's one of those things that the Lord just wants to bless us with and he puts it in there by giving it to a very wise guy and telling us, like, guys, just put all your cares on me. Trust me. I got such great plans for you. And so back over in Haggai in verses 10 and 11, it goes through and the, the, the no rain equals, of course, no fruit. And God was going against their main crops in their life. He had taken from them the grain, the wine, and the oil. That was their main crops to wake them up. God loves them and he loves us absolutely. Now verses 12 through 15 Then Zerubbabel, the son of, I'm having a hard time with that guy's name, Shealtiel, we'll say it, and Joshua, the son of uh, Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the presence of the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke the Lord's message to the people, saying, I am with you, says the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel and the son of Shealtiel, uh, uh, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, and the high, uh, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. And then they complete it within the next four years, and so a total of six years they could have had it done. That's what ended up happening. But they got stalled out for those 14. Now, 
Considering their ways or their priorities, they chose to obey, the God, to obey God and prioritize his work first. Now, this is not a thing. This is, I love scripture because it always brings out the leaders, right? This is not one of those ones where it says, okay, this is what the people have to do. You leaders go tell them. <laughs> right here in the scripture, it's very clear. And God went with his spirit and spoke to the leaders first, didn't he? It has to start with the leaders, the leaders are not acting that way, then why would the people follow? God would have to raise up somebody else amongst them, right? Which he has done in the past. But the leaders are called out that they need to follow in obedience. And they are the first ones. They went in obedience and they caused the people to go with them. It stirred their hearts. Now, the Lord in verse 13, he comforts his people by letting them know that he is with them. Okay, so he doesn't come down on them and say, you guys, I'm tired of you. I'm sick of what you're doing. Stop going back to your own houses and building your own things up. You disgust me. And thank the Lord he's not that way. Sometimes we actually will try to say stuff like that. God's really, no, God is so loving. He wants correction because he's a loving father, just as any of us would as a parent. It comes to that place where then he says, guys, I am with you. Don't think that I've forsaken you in any of this. Yes, you have hard times. Enemies are coming. Things are going to happen in your life. It is tough, but don't forget that I am with you. Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40, verse 28. Have you not known, have you not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak and to those who have no might. He increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up like wings, like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That's the encouragement he gives us. Like, okay, guys, get back into this work. This is who I am. This is the God I am. And I'm ready to give you the power to be able to do what I'm calling you to do. God will not call us to a work and watch from a distance. Sometimes we'll leave him behind, but he will never leave us behind. That's not his ways. He talks about that over in, in John 14, and I don't have time to go there, but that talks about him giving out the Spirit, and he's going to guide us, and that we have that, and we get to rest in him. John 14, 26 and 27, if you're taking notes. So then in verse 14, the Lord steers their spirit, and the Lord will also enable his workers so that they will not have to do it by their own strength or their own will. God will give that. That's something he gives. So again, they're on the right path. They're on his path, right? So here, we're going we're gonna to conclude so you guys can wake back up. All right? Here's the conclusion on this. And I really hope you guys are blessed by this. I hope the Lord speaks to you. And, and there's just awesome things to consider here. God has called us to consider our ways, hasn't he? He's called us to consider our ways. Many have built an altar and laid the foundation in vigor, response to Jesus' work of grace, but since then have met opposition or oppositions. Like there's been this vigor, I love Jesus, I can't wait to go tell people about him, I'm so excited what he's done, I have this whole cargo that's been lifted off of me, let's go Jesus. And then we know, all of us that are, are veterans with Jesus, we know it fades away, doesn't it? It's so hard to maintain. That's why Paul was always saying, run the race to win. Like, keep going hard. Don't ever slow down. Things will come up, though, guys. Finances are going to get hard. Not having enough time is hard. We're going to get persecution. Self-promotion is going to get in the way. 
where we want to promote us over him in false satisfaction in all the junk that this world has to offer us. That's all going to get in our way. Robbed of the priority to bring pleasure to the Lord and the glory to him. It robs us of that. Don't be fooled that this is what is life, to have this stuff, to do these things, to be this person, to have this power. Don't be robbed in thinking that that's why you're here. Understand very clearly that we are here for God. Once again, and I I know this is beating in your guys' head, to bring him pleasure and give him glory, right? I've had the pleasure of serving with many, many different God's peoples over the years. Different ministries, places in other countries, getting to see how they do it in their culture, lots of different people. And I've run into a lot of different believers that break my heart because I see this 14 years there. If the worship team wants to come on up, Justin, Tom. The ones that I've run into where they still tear down their brothers and sisters so that they can be glorified. The ones that are still bad-mouthed and it's like, what? And I know they've laid that foundation, they have that altar, but now they're in this 14-year slump of building their own house. The ones that have a passion for ministry, but they've left their first love. They're so willing to be in there and be ministering to people and doing that, but they've forgotten Jesus Christ. The ones that have much to say about their hobbies, their teams, or their materials, but little to say about their Savior. Remember when you guys first came to Jesus, you couldn't keep your mouth shut about him, right? Now it's about all this other stuff. Whenever you come together with another believer, is the first things out of your mouth about how good God is? Or is it how much work stinks? (laughs) And this is the problem I have, and this is the problem. You guys can imagine that these guys in Israel were doing the same thing. During these 14 years, you know they were getting together, talking about their, you wouldn't believe it, the hail came the other day and totally blew up my crops again. Yeah, well, you wouldn't believe this. I'm going to trump that. Here's how bad my life is. (laughs) That focus is not, it's gone off the Savior. Last one is that have lost their grace for God's people. Lost their grace for God's people. The saddest thing is when I went through this and made this list up, I was like, man, there's a few of those that are me right now. That I've lost. I, I can, I'm not above the 14-year slump at all. I look back on the passions God has given me, and there's been great times in my life where I'm rebuilding that temple again, and then I get back down into that slump. None of us are above it. We have not completed it. And so God calls us out today and asks us, consider your ways. Where are you at right now? Am I getting the pleasure and the glory? And so I encourage you guys this morning, return Let's consider our ways and let's return to the building. And this last verse I want to leave you guys with before we pray is in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. sixteen through 18. Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And Lord, we just want to thank you so much just for your awesome word that calls us out, Lord. I pray that the people would see, and especially me, Lord, 
We need to come back and just get before you and get right and building your work again, Lord. Having that grace on other people and our, uh, on our brothers and sisters. Lord, being focused, wanting our first words out of our mouth to talk about your greatness. Lord, I pray you just continue to work in us, Lord, and thank you so much for pouring out your mercy and how much you love us. And you're never a God that's over us, condemning us. Lord, you just love us, and you want us to grow closer to you, and we praise you for that. Lord, pray that you would get the pleasure that you absolutely deserve, the pleasure that you paid heavily for. Lord, I pray that you would be glorified through our lives, Lord, that we would be that awesome witness for you. Lord, that people would want to be after you because of how you have made us, how loving we are to others, Lord, how we look out for others, how we serve others, Lord, that people would be like, what is going on? I want to know your God. Lord, that we'd be that example. Lord, we'd be humble. Lord, we'd just chase after you every single day, Lord. Help us to put you first, Lord, if we're not there, to make it right with you again. Lord, we just want to bless your name. We just pray these things in your name. Amen. And there'll be prayer afterwards if you guys want to come up and pray with